0: This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share.
1: Hello, yes, thanks Yas. Tremendous privilege to be here. Um, Jason, I forgot my water there, brother. I'm going to need it. Thank you so much. Um, incredible privilege to be here this evening. I was in Schaafel um, Franshoek this morning, and uh, they had a bit of a flood as well. On I think it was on Thursday, um, Friday afternoon, the church they flooded. They were praying for rain. They had a lot of of uh, words and prophecies that God was going to send the the spiritual rain that's going to flow down the mountain, and then through the building and into the community. And so on Friday afternoon it started, just so flowing down the mountain into the building. So uh, sometimes we need to be specific <laughs> in what we pray. But uh, isn't it a great blessing to be able to, to walk to church in the rain? Um, I remember Uncle Angus earlier, when he came to Mishals plane to pray, he said, just don't ask me to stop the rain. All right, when you guys have to start canoeing down your streets. Um, don't ask me to cancel this prayer. And it wasn't that long ago when, when uh, things were incredibly dry. So, isn't God just so good to us that we're getting the former rain and the latter rain? And, and just, He's not just blessing us with a little trickle, He's blessing us in abundance. And, uh, and that is our Father's heart. And um, it's a great privilege to be here, like I've said. Uh, I was standing there at the back and just looking at you guys worshiping God. And I'm just so humbled to be able to share with you. So, see, I thank you for the opportunity. And I want to thank Sias and this entire team of volunteers and the staff for working so incredibly hard to create a safe space for you guys where you can receive from God, where you can be ministered to, where you can be vulnerable. And I don't know how many of you guys know, but this isn't always the norm. And So what you have here is very special. And I don't know whether some of you will be able to celebrate your 93rd birthday year like Danimari is doing, but for most of you, there might come a time when you will have to leave here so cherish these moments uh, drink them in make use of every opportunity to receive input to receive edification to receive a rebuke as well while you can still receive it while there are still people who love you enough to rebuke you amen uh, receive that and uh, welcome that into your life um, I want to pray for us as we, we get into this evening Father we love you. And we thank you, Lord, you loved us first. And we thank you, God, that you love each one in this room so much. We thank you for your presence. And God, we are indeed here for you, Lord. We just want to continue to bask in the glory of your love and who you are, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you make the Father's love real to us. And thank you, Jesus, that you have come to show us the way. We don't have to wonder what our Father is like. We can just look at you, Jesus, look at your life, and it's clear. You are a holy God. You're an awe-inspiring God, but you are a loving God. You are a forgiving God. So have your way with us tonight, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to share with you this this evening around um, something that you guys have been busy with already. And that is around the topic of discipleship. And and C.S. has been chatting to you about a radical call. A radical, I think. A radical call to, uh, to be rooted in Jesus, amen. To be rooted and to be established in him. A radical call to be countercultural. in other words, to to live um, not with an obsession for self. The entire world is sort of geared towards magnifying self. Um, I always say that within the biblical paradigm, there are two cities that are spoken about in the Bible over and over again. The one is Jerusalem, which is the holy city. In the Old Testament, it was a physical city. We know that now it's, there is still a physical city, but the new Jerusalem, it's us, God's people. And one day God will come and he will establish a physical new Jerusalem as well. But we know that for now, the spiritual people called um, God's people, the new Israelites, that's us, Um, and God's heart for Jerusalem is to be the king in Jerusalem. Uh, In Jerusalem, God is loved, God is adored, God is worshipped, but we don't just love God, we also love one another. In Jerusalem, the Trinity is worshipped, Father God, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son. Opposed to Jerusalem is Babylon. and Babylon also has a trinity, the trinity of I, me, and myself. And within Babylon, I, me, and myself is worshipped. So I want to do things my way. I want to do what's best for me. I will do it myself. And as believers, when it comes to discipleship, we basically have to decide in which city will I live. Will I live within Jerusalem where I worship God that calls me to be rooted in Christ It calls me to be radically in my obedience to self-denial, in my obedience to seeking the kingdom first, in my obedience to service, in my obedience to authentic community. Or will I submit to the spirit of Babylon? And I know none of us here, we live in a physical Babylon, but Babylon is a system, right? Babylon isn't a physical place so much. The physical place was in modern-day Iraq. But it's a system, it's a spiritual place. It is a way of living, And to be a disciple means to be countercultural. To be a disciple means to follow Jesus with everything that we have. And indeed, as Sias has said, it is a radical call. And I want to invite some of you guys that are finishing with your exams, you're finishing off early. I know that Sias normally gives you guys a lot of uh, stuff to read over the holidays. But I want you to consider to get yourself the book um, that's called um, Raising Resilient Disciples Within a Digital Babylon raising resilient disciples within a digital babylon. Because in our day and age where we find ourselves very often is we find ourselves in a digital world. A digital world that is that is all enveloping, a digital world that connects somebody in India to somebody in Australia, a digital world that enables us to, to stream services like this all across the world. So if you're streaming in welcome, we're thankful for technology as well. Um, but a digital world that is changing our environment. Um, They are speculating now that the human body is beginning to adapt as well, that we have all sorts of protrusions and and things, people are developing all sort of uh, uh, muscular uh, and and skeleton um, maladjustments and things because human beings weren't created to live like this. (laughs) Amen? Uh, uh, If you're an OT, you're in a good job, right? You're going to have a lot of work, sorting out people's fingers going forward. But I want you to take a look at this video clip and just set your thoughts thinking a little bit. And I want you to just evaluate yourself very briefly as we look at this. So Tosca, if we can have the one on Digital Babylon. Thank you.
0: Screens, they are profoundly changing the human experience, pushing the tyranny of now, overloading our choices, weaponizing humor, making snarky, cool, and cynical smart. Where there's an emoji for every mood and a gif for every moment. The typical 15 to 23 year old spends nearly 20 times more hours per year using screen-driven media than taking in spiritual content. In ancient Babylon, God's people found themselves in exile, a foreign land, foreign gods, foreign customs. Despite those challenges, a faithful remnant emerged. Today, there are signs of that same type of resilient faith and devotion in modern day followers of Jesus living in a digital Babylon. In the screen age, our devices are the new disciple makers. But who are they leading us to follow? These lighted rectangles in our pockets have redefined so much about our lives, including spirituality and the pursuit of God. They have left us in a land marked by phenomenal access profound alienation, and a crisis of authority. Digital Babylon is the new context for discipleship. We are all exiles now. So where do we go from here? Are we doomed by all that's going wrong, or is there anything going right that can give us hope for a brighter future? In the midst of a screen-led culture remains a faithful few committed to core practices of resilient discipleship. This faith is strong and sustained. It's a faith we can all learn from. It's a faith for exiles.
1: So I want to encourage you if you if you have some time to get yourself that book because it speaks into our existence where most of us live, the environment in which we find ourselves, an environment that challenges a lot of things which we traditionally just accepted that invades our space, invades our thinking, invades our intimacy, invades so much of who we are as human beings. Uh, Be encouraged. It's a hopeful book, all right? So it's not a depressing book, but it is an important conversation for us to have. And I want to frame the discussion around discipleship a little bit within the context of how different generations adapt differently and look differently at life. Before I get there, let me read this verse for you guys very quickly. Ezekiel 36 was the chapter that God gave to us during Convergence. I know that most of you guys were either away on holiday, you were writing your, your header, and so you couldn't be there. But Ezekiel 36 verse 8 says, But you, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they are about to come. For indeed I am with you, and I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and sown. For I will multiply men upon you, and that means men and women, all the house of Israel, all of it, And the cities shall be inhabited and the ruins rebuilt. And I will multiply upon you man and beast, and they shall increase and bear young. And I will make you inhabited as in former times and do better for you than at your beginnings. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. And Isaiah rightfully said, he said, we've been around for a couple of years and we've experienced some tremendous things, some tremendous growth, a, a great deal of blessing that God has given us, but we've also experienced some challenges. And so God comes during convergence, it's our time of coming together, and he gives us this word, and he says, I'm with you, and I will do for you like I did for you in previous times, and I will do for you even better, he says. I will multiply men upon you, I will multiply women upon you, I will give you resources, I will bless you, and he speaks to the mountains, and mountains in scripture speaks of places of influence. Whenever you were in control of a mountain, you could control the highways, you could control the economy, you could control the political sphere, you could control the military routes. So if you were in control of a mountain, you had influence. So when the Bible speaks about mountains, it speaks about strongholds, it speaks about places of influence. And within Israel, it is interesting, God is speaking to the mountains here. Some of you might remember, those of you guys that are familiar with the Old Testament a little bit, that the mountains used to make God's people stumble. Because on the mountains, there were the high places, the idols, where they were worshipping foreign gods, where they were uh, sacrificing their children on the altar, they were burning incense to foreign gods, they built temples for foreign and pagan kings. Solomon built temples for all of his pagan wives upon the mountains. And so the mountains influenced God's people. Many of the uh, revivals or the the moves of restoration brought about by godly kings would go a long way, but some of it stopped because the guys didn't take off the high places upon the mountains. So what is a mountain? A mountain is a place of influence. And God comes and God speaks to the mountains and he says, You, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit. So I believe in the first place, the mountains within the church context speaks about the local church. God has chosen the local church through which to exert influence upon the face of the earth. God has chosen his church, not the building, not the structure, but his people coming together. He has chosen his church to be a safe place for people. Is from the church, from the mountain of the church, we extend protection, we extend peace, we extend influence, we extend authority. This, um, this week, I had the wonderful privilege of going to a mountain, massive mountain, a big mountain in Kailitsha. I don't know how many of you guys have seen mountains in, in Kailitsha. But I went to this mountain, and this mountain was inhabited by, by a group of about 20 ladies. The church has never grown beyond 20 over all the years in which they have had the church, but many other churches were planted out of that group of 20. Many other movements and intercession movements and men and women of influence who came in as little kids were released into the community. A small house, 20 people, but a mountain of influence. Do you get what I'm I'm after here? And why was that a mountain of influence? Because from that mountain, from that home, that lady, Mama Tandi, she exerted spiritual influence over her community. So much so that the police now, when they go out at night in the middle of the night to do their patrols, they ask Mama Tandi and her intercessors to drive with them for their protection. But not only for their protection, because the Holy Spirit would speak to them and would tell them a lot of things that are maybe too traumatic even for an audience like this to hear. And so so the Lord uses them to, to influence to influence the community. And it's a small place physically, but it's a massive place spiritually. What is that? That is a mountain of influence because it is yielded to God. And so there was this one case where one of the ladies that was part of this prayer room, she she came to pray with Mama Tandi and something was bugging her and Mama Tandi could see that. So she asked the sister afterwards, what's wrong? And she says, "My, my sister's son has disappeared. We can't, we can't find him. We don't know what, what happened uh, to him. No, 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 my sister's son is acting weird, she says. And, and so they prayed and says, God, show us what's going on. Why is he becoming more and more distant? Why is he, is he not returning his mother's calls? What is happening here? It seems like he's withdrawing from her. And so they prayed and prayed for this young man for a couple of weeks until this one day there was a knock on her door and there was this young man that came and he said, Mama Tandi, I need to, I need to speak to you. I've got a confession to make but it should only be you and so he came to her and confessed and said I need your prayer because there's this girl that disappeared in the community and I'm the only person who knows about her I'm the only person who knows where she is because I killed her and I buried her in the plot next to our house and so Mamatani listens to him and and says so my son what do you want me to do and, and he says please just just pray for me but this needs to stay between us and she says, my son, my, my heart is filled with the Holy Spirit only. My heart doesn't have place for the Holy Spirit and lies. And so I can't keep this to myself. What I suggest we do is we go to the police and we tell them what happened. He says, no, I, I, can't, I can't do that. And she said, I'm gonna pray for you that you do the right thing. And so he left and she went then to his, to his mother who started to join her prayer group as well. Imagine the conversation that you have to have to tell a mom that your son that you've been praying for is a murderer. And she says that, my sister, God has answered your prayer. And sometimes God answers our prayers, but not in the way that we want. We've been praying. We've been asking God, show us. Of course, she broke down and they both broke down and they cried and they cried and they cried. And eventually they went to the police and they went into the commanding officer's um, office and, and told him what happened and he didn't want to believe them because they had other suspects. And then she told them, look, phone this guy, let him come to the hospital because the previous evening he hit his mom as well. Let's take the mom to the hospital, let the mom phone him. So she phoned him and he was there in a flash, he was there. They then arrested him and they took them to where he buried the body. And now this thing grows and it grows and it grows and it grows because there's a community, some of you guys might have remembered from the news, they, they threw a whole lot of excrement at parliament and within the airport. Does anybody remember that? A little while ago. Right, so there's, there's violence, sewage stuff being thrown into the airport, being thrown at parliament. And these were the neighbors of this girl that disappeared. And now these guys here that the culprit who murdered this girl was found. And they can't get hold of, of, of him because he's been arrested, but they want to burn down his mother's house because they're so angry. And so the brigadier of the, of the police come to Mamatandi because now they do believe her. So you've got to go with us, you've got to go and speak to these people. And as they, as they drive up to this massive group that organized this rally, because they are angry, they demand justice, something needs to be done. As they drive up, she says, the Holy Spirit shows her who the leader of this group is. She's never seen him before. She calls him to the, to the van in which she sat and opened the door and says, hold my hand, my son, I'm old. He took hold of her hand. Mama, he helped her down. He says, my son, I just want to repent towards you as a church that we have failed to disciple you. We didn't explain to you why God hates violence and disorder but there's a story in Deuteronomy where, where or numbers where God says that when I enter your camp and there's any defilement within the camp then I will turn away from you so when you go to the toilet I want you to bury everything within the ground and not have it lie around but my son you didn't know this because we never told you this so you, you didn't know that that God might be on one of the plains God might want to visit Cape Town God might want to visit our parliament, but now we can't because things have been defiled. But it's not your fault, it's our fault. Because we didn't disciple you well. So that angry young man, his leader, breaks down in front of her. And she wins his heart. He takes her by the arm and he walks with her into that hall filled with angry people who are chanting and wanting to burn something because they're so angry and because they're so hurt. And the police brigadier starts to speak, he tries to calm them down, but of course they didn't want to calm down. And then he asked Mama Tandi to come up to the stage to, to speak to them, and, and then this leader gets up and he whistles and he quiets them down and they quiet, and she starts speaking. And she says to them that, I want to tell you a story today, not of a, a victim and not of a, a murderer, but I want to tell you a story of a mother. I want to tell you a story of a mother who lost her daughter and I want to tell you a story of a mother who lost her son. Start speaking to them about the humanity of the people involved here. How this mom chose to give up her son to the police. How this mom is a victim just as much as the other mom is a victim. And how these two women have reconciled. How the mom of the victim and the mom of the murderer have been weeping into each other's arms. And that crowd, that violent crowd, turned into an altar call where moms started praying for one another. I mean, what is that? What is that? It's a mountain. It's a mountain of godly influence. It's one woman that is healed to God within an environment that is so rife with destruction and hatred. And within that environment, she is shooting forth her branches and healing her fruit. And I believe that God is speaking to us Young men and young women, you are given a mountain to steward. You are given influence. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with your engineering degree? What are you going to do with your teaching degree? What are you going to do with what God has given you? What will you use that for? I'm here to say to you, God is saying to you, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel. Maybe you don't feel like a mountain this morning. Maybe you feel like a mole's heel. <laughs> Maybe you feel insignificant. You feel trampled upon. But God says you are a mountain. Because within you is Christ, the hope of glory. Within you is the greatest influencer who ever lived. And if, and, and if, and if all of the, the pain and the anarchy of that environment in which Mama Tandi lived couldn't squash out her ability to influence how much more can God not do through you and me if we are yielded to him? But I fear that sometimes we, we're not mountains of influence because we shy away from environments where that influence is needed the most. And I want to encourage you, mountains of Israel, mountains of shofar, mountains of South Africa, shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit. But the only way you can do that is if you embrace the call of discipleship upon your life. Because Mama Tandi was discipled by, by someone who walked into her life when her family was violently removed from Mulnaton where they lived and thrown into Kailitcha. Someone Someone loved her, prayed for her, discipled her, taught her the things that she's now imparting unto others. Who knows where life will throw you? Who knows what flood will come into your life and where that will take you. My prayer is wherever that will take you that you will come away from this season in your life understanding the seed that you have received. Nurturing that and cherishing that and looking after that. So the sound of the harvest, this, this great sound of, of people coming together to worship God is something that's very close to our heart as, as shofar. It's a passion that C.S. shares and one of the greatest advocates of evangelism within our church family that we are so grateful for. But what God is doing now and, and what C.S. is passionate about together with the leadership of this church is that it's not evangelism and discipleship to a combined. We evangelize as we disciple and we disciple as we evangelize. We desire to reach the nations. It's, it's, it's the vision and the passion that the Lord gave the founding pastors of this church, Pastor Fred so many, many years ago. We desire to reach the nations and the generations through disciple-making. Well, what is that? Simply, we desire to see Christ-followers be raised up. Christ-followers, not Heinrich-followers, not Sias-followers, but Christ-followers. Leadership development. Well, what is that? That is simply people who are in key positions of influence. A mom at home, she's in a key position of influence over her little kids. And over her husband. And over those who come into her home. A teacher is in a key position of influence. A graphic designer is, a a newspaper journalist is in a key position of influence. He or she is a leader. And church planting, because we believe that God desires to disciple us within authentic Community. The best place for discipleship to take place is within community. So there's this glimpse in Revelation 7, verse 9, that John, the apostle John, received. And Cornel Becker shared this a while ago, so I don't want to go into too much depth here, but quickly want to read this for He says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. And so, and we we see that one day in heaven there will be a lot of shouting. If you're a little bit uncomfortable with the shouting, you might as well start practicing here on earth. Because one day you will join, all right? We'll be shouting, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. And to the Lamb, I will shout it from the top of our lungs. Church is a good way of practicing, exercising the lungs for that. But on a serious note is we desire our church gatherings here to be a reflection of heaven. We desire to evaluate what we are doing, not based upon our doctrines, simply our traditions, our background. This is the way we've always done things. So we desire to evaluate what we are doing with what we see Is taking place in heaven. And that will always be imperfect because we are imperfect. We're broken human beings. We're figuring out what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth. But we desire to worship God with abandon the way the elders and the angels do. It's our desire. But beyond the worship, not beyond the worship, but with the worship, or as an outflow of the worship, I believe that when we gather together, Because you make a massive investment, especially those of you guys having to study. You make a massive investment to be here. Uh, I know some of you come here for inspiration before you start studying for your exam. Some might come here to escape a little bit from the exam. That's all right. Okay, God is with you here and when you go to study. But we desire our, our gathering to be prophetic we desire our gathering to reflect a little bit of this place where there's a great number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne. And so when we gather together what you are doing, even before you have prophesied anything with your lips, even before you've delivered a word of knowledge, or before you've p- sung a prophetic song, by the fact that you are gathering, you're part of something prophetic. Because you are giving a glimpse to the world and to the demons of hell that Jesus is building his church. The gates of hell will not stand against it. You want to learn how to grow in the prophetic? Come to church. Be the church, I mean, there where you are, and come, celebrate together. Say that we will reflect something of heaven. And the reason why I'm passionate about this is because I experienced this within an environment where at one stage it was incredibly difficult for me to believe this. I read this, I understood this is what it was going to be, but for me it was always, Jesus, will there always be this massive gap between what I see now and what I see in Scripture? I don't know how many of you guys have sometimes had to deal with that frustration. Jesus, this is what I see in Scripture, but Jesus, this is my experience. How do we bring this together? And, and, and if that, if that discord ha- stays there for too long, sometimes, if you're not careful, bitterness and disillusion can come in. And so I was, I was, I was in Uplington in my high school years, and Uppington is a beautiful place. Anybody from Uplington? Love you, brother. I see that hand. Anybody else? <laughs> it's a beautiful place, all right? It's green, Uppington itself. People got the most beautiful gardens, their lawns, love their gardens, beautiful place with a river coming through there. But I grew up in Uppington in the early 90s. Well, I went to high school in Uppington, came from Beaufort West to Uppington. And Uppington was a little bit different than what, what it is now. It was different culturally. It was, a, it was a, a place that was a little bit behind Cape Town in sense of racial integration. And so they only opened up the neighborhoods in, in 1990. And so we lived in, a community, wasn't part of what they called the Dorp, the inner, the inner sort of circle. But my dad worked within town, and so when the opportunity came for us to move from where we lived into sort of the town center closer to home, or closer to where my dad worked, we experienced a whole lot of very interesting things. Um, people throwing rubbish into our yard. Um, eventually my, my cat ended up being dead in my yard, thrown into a rubbish bag. Some of our neighbors moved away. There, there were a lot of things there that were, that were going on there that, that I was saved and I had a dad who was so forgiving, a dad who was so loving, a dad who never once spoke anything negative towards anybody, be it government or any person who acted with prejudice towards him. But as I was growing up, this resentment started growing inside of me. I'm like, Dad, I hear what you're saying about loving. I hear what you're saying about forgiving. And I don't just hear it, but I can see it as well. But, Dad, I don't understand why we can't just go and swim where we want to swim. I don't understand why we can't just go to any restaurant we want to go to. I can't understand why we were growing up in, in Gurries, We had to go around the back of the, of the, of the restaurant to get our our groceries through a little window. I don't understand that, Dad. I don't understand why when I go to the dentist, we've got to go through an alley and we can't go through the front door. We've got to go around the back and there's a different dentist chair there with different equipment. I don't understand those things. As a high school student, I I began to ask myself those questions and I'm living within that environment and I'm struggling. I'm struggling because I'm reading in books and all the books I'm reading, the white guy is the good guy and the black guy is the bad guy. And maybe if a talented guy is in there somewhere, he's not sure what he is. <laughs> and I'm reading all of those things and I'm like, how does this work? And why all the stories and all the pictures, Jesus is white, 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 white. If there's a black guy in there somewhere, he's maybe a bad Negro. Bad Negro. <laughs> why is this happening? And so my challenge, my challenge is I'm experiencing something and I'm seeing something differently in the Bible. Does that make sense to you? And I'm having to wrestle through this growing up within a loving home with parents loving the Lord Jesus. And I I could read all about reconciliation and all of those things. You know where my heart received its healing. You know, when I came studying here at Stellenbosch, a lot of that healing started happening within this faith community. But even then, when I started history, and I started reading more on stuff. I started reading more about stuff that happened. I became angrier and angrier and angrier. But there was a small community within Uppington, a Sunday morning, where the Holy Spirit kept on chipping away at my unbelief. Kept on chipping away at my bitterness. Kept on chipping away at that part of me that said, I hate this wrestle. I'm going to give in to the bitterness. And that was that on a Sunday, I was part of a prophetic community. And suddenly, within that environment where, when the first time they opened up the swimming pool and my brother and I went to swim there, within like 30 seconds, we had the whole pool to ourselves. It was amazing. <laughs> it was incredible. Within that environment, there was, there was a small group of people, 20 people, who slowly but surely, through their love, demonstrated to me that culture does not have to have the final answer. There can be something prophetic, something so powerful it refuses to let go of you, something so powerful it refuses to let the hope inside of you die, something so powerful it inspires you to keep on believing that one day we will have more such prophetic communities. One day, things will be different. One day, Ultimately, everything will be different when Jesus comes back. And so, within that community, I heard for the first time people calling. And I know not many of you can relate to this. And by the way, this is not to make you feel guilty when I say these things, it's simply my story, all right? Don't feel guilty, you guys have nothing to do with it. For the first time, I heard people my age who were white call my mom and my dad Womintani. Now, to you, it might not mean anything, but before that, white people didn't call. My mom and my dad, woman, They called them by their names. They called them off O-Albert or O-Nancy or Nancy or Albert on their names. But they would call white people there, age, my mom and my dad's age, woman, And I had to live with this thing that how does this, you're my friend, but you don't respect my folks. How does this work? And you're in church with me and we worship God together and we sing the songs together, but then there's this thing and there was this one family that brought so much healing they came to our house invited us over called my mom, my dad, woman it's something so silly I look back at it now, I'm like oh, come on man it's like something so insignificant but it was something so prophetic they didn't lay hands on us and say you shall be healeth right noweth from all the demons of bitterness and despair and hatred and prejudice they just loved us in a way that was prophetic. And within that community, discipleship, discipleship took place from my heart. So I don't have a big complicated message for you this evening, simply to say to you, in all of your discipleship, journeying, journey with the people of God. Even though it frustrates you, even though at times it challenges you, because you will receive your greatest healing within the people of God. Might be the place where you get hurt a lot, but it certainly will be the place where you receive your healing. And I'm thankful to God for that community. They discipled me through their love. So I'm I'm gonna pray for you guys. I'm gonna pray that you will continue to live prophetically, because you underestimate what is going on here. I want to ask you that, that if there's some of this intergenerational to have different generations together and different cultures together, if there's something here that you just take for granted, I'm so thankful for that because it needs to be natural. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to overcomplicate it. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about it. And it's beautiful that it's happening so organically. But I do want to ask you also to be intentional, to evaluate always and constantly your culture against Biblical culture. So for me, how, how it worked for me, my challenge was simply when I came to Shofar, all my friends were, were white. And then I had guys who, who, who couldn't understand, why are you hanging where the white is, man? Come mangi the Buddha don't. They come back there. Not the farmers, it was the way guys talk. Why are you supporting the Springboks? <laughs> Where's the All Blacks jersey? Because they were still trapped within an environment where they couldn't let go of the fact that their uncles were never allowed to play for the springboks. As talented as they were. They just couldn't break through that. They got stuck there. Because they had an eye to make a decision to say, see us as my friend? you <laughs> whitey. <laughs> 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 to walk across the red plain. You know shofar people? They walk up to you and then they hug you. And I had to deal with it that, hey, these guys love me. They hug me. I'm not going to be ashamed to be hugged. the other guys look at me, what What are you, what are you, what are you trying to get from them? (laughs) But they were my family. They're my family. And we share more than what culture would want us to believe. The bond in the spirit is stronger than any cultural bond stronger than any generational bond. I'm going to pray for you guys. Can we stand?
0: Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.